Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today on the show, me and Mike are going to do some 2021 NFL season superlative predictions. Most improved team, most declined team, coach on the hottest seat, biggest value free and signing, biggest impact rookie, and a handful of others. We're also going to do some final season predictions here as we get close, you know, final division picks, O'Roy, D-Roy, all that type of stuff. It's prediction season here on 2 for 1 Drafts. So at the back end of the show, we got interviews with Florida State head coach Mike Norvell and also Missouri head coach Eli Drinkwitz. Also, go to Apple Podcasts right now, leave a review, and leave your and send a screenshot, five-star review, send a screenshot to me via Twitter DMs or IG DMs, and you'll get a copy not only of a 2022 NFL Draft Guide, but a 2021 College Football Preview Magazine. And I'm only doing it for... 20 total people. So you better be first. You better be first. Make sure you go leave an Apple podcast review, and I'm going to send you both a college football preview magazine and a 2022 NFL draft guide. Just got to send me a screenshot of it in the Twitter DMs. All right, let's get it. find a person more stoked than me when I saw your mommy in that group chat, by the way, that was Green Bay Packers shareholders. So all those people like season ticket holders, what is that? That's my family. That's your whole family. That's They're incredible. That's freaking incredible. Your mommy ends up breaking the Aaron Rodgers is at Green Bay Packers camp. And you don't even tweet it out before the other guy did. Yeah, and Rod Domofsky beat her to it. That's just ridiculous. That's Me just too, ridiculous. Yeah. And <laughs> So what? What when you first got the text? What was your reaction? <laughs> I mean, it was uh, first got the text. My action was like not surprised because my mom's just uh, a monster. She does that. Yeah, she does this. So for some context, they live uh, in Green Bay. They're like three blocks from Lambeau, and so classic. But my mom, she, she wakes up at like six a.m. every day, like maybe even earlier sometimes, like five a.m. She wakes up super early, sometimes later, and just houses coffee. Like she houses coffee in the morning every time I go to like. S- to see them and try to work in the mornings, all she's doing is just yapping to me. Like, cause she's just like going. She probably will have, no joke, four cups of coffee for 9 a.m. Am I in love? Like, four honestly. cups of coffee for 9 a.m. And so she's just saying anything that comes to mind. And so she's out there overlooking whatever Mark four Murphy coming in. in. And so she's just saying whatever the hell comes to mind. Hey, where's Aaron? Just like <laughs> talking her mind. And she says, Where's Aaron? To Mark Murphy, and Mark Murphy replies, he's here. And then Rob Domofsky tries to get in, and the journalist saying, was like, oh, can I quote you on that? And oh, Mark so Murphy's she like, didn't say, can I quote you on that? No, she oh, just okay. like immediately texts me. She's like, Mike, oh my God, Mike, say that Aaron's here. Tweet, tweet it, tweet it. And then calls me and is like, oh, tweet it. It's like, it's breaking news. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then before that, I, I log on Twitter and see Rob Domofsky's already tweeted, God my mother it. asking Mark Murphy if Aaron's here. And so I'm like, yeah, I can confirm that that's my mom that asked that. That's sensational, dude. That and is so sensational. She is how, how I'm sure I mean I'm imagining like if like the standard mom in America reacting to that. How excited was she? Like she had oh, to she been like, so Oh my upset. god, I, I broke news. She said she sent me like every news article that mentioned that <laughs> she was it was her that asked this question. Uh, and then she she screams, Have a good season, Aaron, to to Aaron as he's walking in. 
And that you can see that on all the videos of Aaron walking and you can hear my mom yelling, have a good season, Aaron. That's so. incredible. And she had that picture you dropped on Twitter too. Like she, she took yeah, that picture. She took those pictures. Adam Schefter retweeted the picture my mother took. So That's so sick. So it goes without she's saying we're going to get her on the pod. Yeah, we we'll, have we'll to get have her, her on, on the podcast. Monday. Maybe in the morning too. It sounds like she's at her best. Yeah, I was going to say maybe like 7 a.m., 8 a.m. She'll be cooking. You won't get her. She'll maybe talk we get her out to Cincy too. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not against you know pulling out oh, all the Oh, actually, stops. she was just telling me she was, my, they might come through Cincinnati next week. Maybe we get her in studio. Yes, 100%. On the podcast. 100%. All right, we can do that. We I'm can all that. for that. I am all for You know me, man. I'm all about it. That's going to be freaking awesome. Um, let's go ahead and get into this podcast here. You hit me up late last night. It's like, hey, let's freaking let's change gears here. Let's go attack you know, some season predictions, some season superlative predictions. We're going to look at most improved team, most declined team, hottest seat for GMs, hottest seat for coaches, a handful of those things. And then I think it's going to start you know, as we march forward on two episodes a week, doing more of this kind of 2021 NFL season final predictions. I want to look at division winners, OYD Roy, final Super Bowl, all that mm-hmm. type of stuff before the Hall of Fame game. We are going to be doing two episodes a week, probably through the first few weeks of August. Rebrand's going to hit in a couple weeks. All you have to do is stop playing around with the logo, Mike. It's on you. We're, we're your approval of the logo away from pressing go. On, we got a new trailer video for it. We got, obviously, the name is finalized. Got to get the logo, the colors, all that stuff. But once you get that approval on the logo, we're going to have to hit go. I'm, I'm aiming for the first week as we prepare for the Illinois game because we're going to Illinois, Nebraska, August 28th. Let's get the freaking rebrand done before that game. We need to get done. All I'm just going to say is I don't want to fucking foam finger on our logo. All right. I just don't want to foam right. finger. All, all right. right. We can we can make that decision. We can make that decision. Um, other updates on two-for-one drafts are – Going to be formally two for one drafts. Yeah. Uh, probably going to go up to three episodes a week, either the week prior to that August 28th game or the week after. What we're going to do there, mailbag episode. Going to get your mailbag questions in. Going to be super exciting. I know last year we had a lot of success and a lot of engagement around the mailbag episode. So going to continue to do that this upcoming season. And if you are in Champaign, we're going to be there. Yeah. August 28th, August 1 strange. o'clock game, Nebraska, Illinois. Brett Bielema season. And uh, we're going to have to hit the bars after. I was going to sure. say, we're going to have to finalize our schedule here soon to all the ones we're going to hit we also know we're going to be at notre dame cincinnati yes on october third weekend so those are our two that are finalized but we need to finalize the rest of the schedule so let the people know we'll get them we'll get it done we'll get it done um the other thing i'll mention i know i mentioned it already but uh florida state head coach mike norvell and missouri head coach eli drinkwitz at the back end of the show and you know if you follow my twitter mike i've been talking to you about it too this drinkwitz guy is crazy man i think he is the next young gun in college football what he's done the success he's already had only two years as a head coach 12 and 1 as his own oc and head coach at app state wins the sunbelt in his first year ever as a head coach gets brought up by missouri in december of 2019 COVID impacts everything, March 2020, still goes 5-5, five and five, also upsets LSU in a shootout in the SEC in his first season while assuming head coach and offensive coordinator do. He's calling all those plays. I asked him some of the my favorite quote was I asked him, how does you know this offense improve? How does Connor Bazalak, the quarterback at Missouri, take the next step? He says, we need you know, bottom 25th percentile on deep throw accuracy, bottom 25th percentile and red zone efficiency, specifically with passing touchdowns. Those are two areas, among other metrics, we need to improve. It's like, if this guy's in the numbers, I'm all in. You know, this is where the, the data-driven approach, the data-driven approach in the SEC, you're not seeing a lot of coaches do that. And I think if Eli, Eli Drinkwitz, man, he gets more talent at Missouri, obviously. Talent matters. Recruiting matters. I think he could do some wonders, man. I'm really excited for that interview. Make sure you tune in to the back end of the podcast here starting with some stories here Aaron Rodgers Green Bay Packers yeah. Aaron Rodgers we already kind of hit on it here but any any last comments on this I'm kind of over it at this point they're going to play one more year this contract's going to be absurd he's going to get Randall Cobb John Kuhn Donald Driver back he's going to get anyone he wants back in one last hurrah in Green Bay I do think it's hilarious it, it wasn't that he wanted 
you know, better players. He, he just wanted his friends. Like he, he wanted them to keep his friends. Yeah. It was not what was his gripe. It wasn't that, oh, you know, your personnel decisions in terms of who you drafted have been some shitty ones. No, it's just like, why'd you get rid of my friends? Which is, I think, kind of hilarious, but also kind of like, you know. It's a power sweet. move. It's, it's a power it's move. I, what I found part. interesting like, oh, is that there is a significant portion of NFL Twitter, NFL fans, they're like, how could you ever let Aaron Rodgers have this much of an effect on personnel decisions? So I was like, you're telling me the person that is, you know, one of the sole reasons why they've been Super Bowl competitive over the past 10 plus years or whatever. You don't want him to have a say on who's on the freaking football team? I think there's not enough. You know, I was talking a little bit with someone here at PFF about like, I think you could start to see this more more often with quarterbacks specifically and quarterback contracts specifically, mm-hmm. just them being more involved in the conversation because it's a quarterback-driven league in the NFL and college football for that matter. And if you're not... If you, your quarterback oftentimes is yes is your make or break the Super Bowl. It's yeah. it's very rare that your team is, you know, their the quarterback is not the reason you're driving you know all the way down the uh, to the Super Bowl. I, I do think that allowing your quarterback to make decisions in terms of like who you're going to bring in free agency a draft. I'm not sure that's where I would want to go because they they don't have the sort of they don't have the background in evaluating these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. But I do think in terms of player retention, it's a big thing. Like if he likes a guy. And he wants him to stay with the team, even if maybe you got to overpay, or maybe even if that guy wasn't in your you know, long-term plans. That's something you got to take into account. Fair, like having losing a guy's like you know a friend on the team, someone that he relies on, someone that he feels comfortable with, especially in Rogers over the course of his career, is always spoken to, you know, targeting and throwing to receivers that he trusts and the mm-hmm. trust aspect. Keeping those guys is something that they should have prioritized or should prioritize, uh, and I think that's a big reason why Rodgers and them got to this point. I, I also think there's the other part of that too, is like receivers that you currently have or players that you're currently playing with. If he's like, this is not a fit for us. He is not playing well. We need to get yeah. an upgrade here. Yeah, Maybe he doesn't that. have a say on the specific name you're bringing in, but, but it's like, Hey buddy, this guy's not good enough. And we are not good enough. We need to make an improvement here. So uh, the other thing that happened yesterday, Xavier Howard officially requested a trade in a, in a long message that Ian uh, Adam Schefter ended up pushing out, mentioned things like he's not even the highest player, paid player on his own team. And it's not close. He feels disrespectful respected by the Dolphins, undervalued. Um, you know, what, what's your opinion uh, on all of that? You know, obviously, Xavier Howard, I think the biggest thing with his contract is that you know, he just didn't get a lot of guaranteed money from mm-hmm. a percentage standpoint or even a total standpoint compared to what Byron Jones and other quarterbacks have signed with. And I think that's the issue. It's not so much that he wants an increase in APY. I think he's even you know, kind of hinted at that. It's more that you know, he wants more guaranteed money. He wants more security in the contract yeah. he has. Yeah, and that's, I think, Eric... Eager has touched on this idea on the forecast in terms of for agency. There really are no, um, what's it called? There's still really only still small edges to be gained because even if you sign a guy to a deal that's very favorable, so the Xavier Howard deal looking very favorable for the Dolphins, the Daniel Hunter deal for the Vikings, one year, two years later, they're unhappy. All of a sudden, you got a player who's not happy with the organization, with his contract. And so it, it only say, only buys you one or two years when you do really get a steal because then you have a bad situation in your hands. Then you have a guy who wants to hold out, a guy who's unhappy and is going to be you know, a nuisance to your team or whatever. So I do think it is kind of hilarious the way he worded it, that he wasn't comfortable with the contract and didn't understand it at the time of signing. Well, it's like, dude, you fucking signed it. It's like you probably should be comfortable with it and understand it. Uh, so from the Dolphins' perspective, in my opinion, he's if he's really going to sit out a whole season, I'm not sure what you're going to get 
in terms of trade value back that's going to make this worth your while to actually move him, I think you got to call his bluff for at least a few weeks here. See what he's actually, how serious he is about not playing. And then at that point, make a move if, if you really feel necessary. But man, four years left on his deal, you really can't be kowtowing to guys and giving them extensions and more guaranteed money, that sort of thing. When they sign contracts, like if you sign a bad contract, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. PFF tweeted a graphic out about potentially uh, a swap of Chandler Jones and a fifth round pick for Xavier Howard. And then I, it, I do think feels that there's. Light. It feels light. Feels light. Could be light. Yeah. I think a fourth, a third. I think it's also, you have to factor in that like the Cardinals are getting, like you said, four years of control, but it'd have to be a contingent on, you know, a contract, you know, revamp. You yeah. know, obviously Xavier Howard would be more guaranteed be, money, which yeah. I, I think anyone would be willing to give more guaranteed money if it wasn't the team that just signed him that. Again, you don't want to rework deals two years yeah. in because then you're going to get everyone asking to rework their deal two years in if they've outplayed it. So what are some landing spots? I think we talked about it already on the Monday podcast. I think the Cardinals make sense. Make the sense. Las Vegas Raiders make sense. I think they've they've you know that those are two teams that I've seen consistently tied to the Xavier Howard name. I think Saints fans wanted him, but I don't know that they can make it work from a cap perspective. The, the Saints can make it work from a cap perspective this year. Yeah. Maybe not like the next three years. Yeah. They're not going to make anything work the next three years. It's going to be the same song and dance we saw this past offseason probably for a couple more off seasons but i wouldn't count them out the team that i'd be interested to see if they make a play is the 49ers because they have the space the need obviously sherman ain't walking through that door right now and that, that they are close to competing like that this is a and this is a great scheme fit and could be the guy that puts you over the top this mm-hmm. season but again i don't know if they have the trade capital at this point they might have to be a player swap but that that's the team that i really like stood out in terms of looking at cap space and need as like they could be making a move but uh, i'm not sure who else really stands out it might just be someone who's kind of like an under the radar not necessarily a competitive team trying to find that last piece before we jump to the predictions now, I have to mention Western Southern, a fantastic sponsor of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions, like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. How I went about this process for most improved team, most decline team, and the other ones that we've mentioned, I have my pick. Then I also have the other teams in consideration. I made okay. some, I have some uh, some other teams. That I was like, yeah, hey, I consider these teams, but this is my pick. You go ahead and kick us off first, and then I'll go. And then for the second one, I'll go first. You go. Kind of a little snake draft action. How do you feel about okay. that? Okay, I can do it. So, most improved team. Most improved team. I'm going to go with this one's tough, but I think on a number of fronts, they vastly improved. It's the New York Jets. I think they were the worst team in the NFL last year. Obviously, they didn't finish with the worst record, but I think they were quite easily the worst the least talented team in the NFL. And now you come in, you bring in Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Elijah Vera Tucker, Zach Wilson, and Michael Carter offensively. Like you completely revamp that offense that was pretty putrid last season. Defensively, obviously didn't bring in as much. That side of the ball still could be a massive issue. But I think the biggest thing here is you go from Greg Williams to Robert Salah, where it's like, that's that's a night and day difference as a defense coordinator, in my opinion. And, and so they still have the pieces along that defensive line. Added Carl Lawson. I, I do think this is the most improved team. Maybe not record-wise. I think the Jags might edge them record-wise in terms of wins improvement. But I do think just talent-wise, they brought in the most main team. 
I think that's a good selection. It was not in my consideration, though. Oh, I what? went uh, honorable mention Washington football team. Obviously, adding Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, is an upgrade. They also uh, bring in Curtis Samuel, De'Ami Brown. I think they made a lot of investments you know, to move that team forward. I think defensively, too, you're going to see a lot of uh, development, not necessarily saying that's why they're the most approved, but I do think they added enough pieces to where this team is going to be a lot better than it was last year. But my pick is, according to PFF's Improvement Index, the most improved team from Kevin Cole's um, oh. statistics here. Is the New England Patriots. And I've been Patriots. saying that all offseason. I think New England Patriots are the most improved team. Bringing in Hunter Henry, John o. Smith, Nelson Aguilar. Um, you know, they add a ton on def- de- 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 um, Matthew Judon being added to this team. I do think Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills. Um, I, 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 Mac Jones, I think, raises the floor of this offense. I've been saying that all offseason as well. I think they are the most improved team. And I think you're going to see them take a significant stride forward and be playoff competitive. Maybe they don't upset the, you know, the Buffalo Bills to win that division. But if Cam Newton, and it's a big if, and it's going to be a big if for the rest of his career, in the NFL can actually be healthy. And I'm not even saying 17 games. I'm saying 15-plus games and, and 100%. I, I really do think that this New England Patriots team is going to do some damage because it's going to be a zag while the NFL, the rest of the NFL zigs. They're going to run the most 12 personnel of any team in the NFL. They're going to run the football at a high percentage. And they have the offensive line, the top three offensive line, not just according to PFF, but also ESPN coming out with their latest offensive line rankings. I do think that this unit offensively is going to do so much better even if Cam Newton can't play with the floor being improved with Mac Jones uh, over Jared Stidham. And defensively, I think they, 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 they take some step forwards as well. I'm excited for the New England Patriots. I do think they enter back into the conversation of being playoff competitive and potentially make a run. See, I just like look at the positions they added. And now I get that they added a lot. Trent like, Brown, too, was a big one. But offensively, like the biggest issue is wide receivers. You probably still have a bottom five wide receiver core in the NFL. Yeah, your tight ends are better, and you're going to run a lot of you know, twelve personnel. But you still have to get like, you still have to stretch the field, and I still don't see them stretching the field necessarily much with this receiving core: Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers. I don't know. So uh, I, I just think, yeah, they add a lot. They're going to look a lot different, but I. I don't know. That's why I want the Jets. I just want the Jets. No, I think the no. Jets is a good one. I think you know the Jags should also be in consideration. I mean, any team that's adding like a quarterback of yeah. you know Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson's caliber, I mean that's that's what's actually going to you know you think about most improved teams. It's teams that make significant upgrades at quarterback, and you obviously saw mm-hmm. the Jets and the Jags both do that. Most declined team. I'm going to go first here. Snake draft season. Yeah. Teams in consideration. New Orleans Saints. Again, this is looking at the quarterback position. Yeah. New Orleans Saints. You lose Drew Brees and you go out with Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill. You're going to regress a little bit. I think that's uh, you, you, it. Removes you from even being considered, you know, a deep playoff contender in my opinion. I mean, my opinion. I don't think Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill, as good as this roster is, as good as Sean Payton is, is going to be all that competitive in the NFC. They're not going to win that division, and I don't think they're going to be a team, an offense specifically, that can compete with others. I think they take a significant step back. Another team in consideration: the Houston Texans. If Gerard Taylor starts for them next year, and Deshaun Watson is ultimately traded, which is where he's either not playing or getting traded. That's where people, that's yeah. where a lot of it is leaning. They're going to be awful next year. They're they're right now, according to Vegas Sportsbooks, the worst team in the NFL. And I think that's obviously a big drop-off from what they were last year. But my pick is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers, I think, are the least, least most declined team. I think that's not just losses. I do think that, you know, obviously, you know, they lose Bud Dupree. You know, they've, they've lost some talent defensively and offensively. But I do think this offensive line is a bottom three unit in the NFL. 
Ben Roethlisberger is not getting any better. I think we saw the athletic Mike Sandoz specifically come out with his quarterback rankings. Still has Big Ben as a top 16 QB. I don't think we see that from him. I think this offense continues to decline. I think defensively they see some decline. The offensive line obviously not in a good place. This Steelers team who went, what, 11-0 to start the season is not going to be like that this year. I do think that they take a significant step back and ultimately probably see the biggest drop-off in total wins this season. Yeah, so they lost uh, Alejandro Villanueva. They lost Mike Pouncey. They lost defensively. They lost Stephen Nelson. Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton. They lost a lot. I, I do think, though, ultimately, it's the Texans that lost the most. Fair. J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. Likely Deshaun Watson. I, either way, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm adding Deshaun Watson to this. Like, he's not going to play for the Texans. So, J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. Like, that is an insane amount to lose from both sides of the ball. Uh Traded away uh, Bernard Kinney, added nothing in terms of impact players. That's the now, other now thing too. Lose Randall like, Cobb you got to think about what they did to like rec- you know recoup some of that value. You know, the Houston Texans not only lost a ton, but the players that they've chosen chosen chose chose to bring in have all been not you know not significantly impactful players. They're losing Randall Cobb too. You know, Randall's yeah. going back to Green Bay. That's going to take a step back. Um, they got Anthony Miller though, which is an interesting piece. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm starting to get interested. No, I'm just kidding. They, I do think the Houston Texans. I mean, and they won four games last year, so it's going to be a, it's going to be ugly. Yeah, it's going to be a bad 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 look. All right, next thing on our list is coach on the hottest seat. You go first. I had two that were names that were in big consideration. I'll let you do your whole list of people after me, but I'm going to go with Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys. He's on my Because people had them as Super Bowl contenders last year, heading into the year, at least. And he made a defensive coordinator decision that's ultimately on him that was a disaster that he had to fire after one year. And now the offense looked great with when Dak Prescott was healthy, but they still didn't really win games. So I I think if if things go south from the rip, and they're still not winning the NFC. If they don't win the NFC East, I don't see him making it past year two in Dallas. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. He was on my list, but he was not the pit player, the coach I picked. I also consider Cliff Kingsbury. If you listen to this podcast consistently, you know. That you hate Cliff Kingsbury. Not hate Cliff Kingsbury, but I think he's way overvalued. Way overvalued. I think he has the sixth longest odds to be you know, the first coach fired, according to Bet Online. Um, but I went with... And I think Mike McCarthy was my number two pick here because for all the reasons that you said. I mean, the expectations in Dallas this year are to win, not just win the division, but also make a deep postseason run. Dak Prescott signed to this big deal. They got CeeDee Lamb. They have Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Defensively, you know, he loves Trayvon Diggs. They just signed Malik Cook. Like, there's Demarcus Lawrence. Like, they should be – the linebacking core is absurd. Jabril Cox, yeah. Keanu Neal. Yeah. I mean, th- there's a lot of reasons to feel good about this team winning 10-11 games next year. And if Mike McCarthy can't live up to that – the expectations might be too high, and he might be on his way out. But the play, the coach I went with, Zach Taylor here in Cincinnati. Mm. They, I mean, he is not the, – the Bengals have been bad. And now, I'm not even saying they have to win a ton of games, but this if this offense is not top 15, top 12 in the NFL this year with Joe Burrow year two, CD Lam- or not CD Lam- Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. I know the offensive line isn't great, but it's not, in my opinion, a bottom five unit, a bottom eight unit. I think they can be better than that. If Zach Taylor can't figure it out this year offensively, they could lose every game but still have a top 12 offense, and I think he gets another chance. If he can't get to that, I don't, I don't think he sees another year in Cincy. Yeah, I, I could agree with that, just that Mike Brown firing a coach midseason does not seem like his. Yeah. Like I, I could very well see him this being his last year, but I'm not sure it's going to happen like week, four, week five if they start 0-5, something like that. So. 
Fair enough. Next one on the list here is GM on the hottest seat. I'll go first. All right. Man, I don't know how I feel about this one. I, so I'm not going to say Ryan Pace. Um, I, I think Ryan Pace is easy. I, he should be on the hottest seat. But I, I think he uh, he could be my pick here. But I want to bring up another name that needs to be discussed. Steve Kime. Ah, that was mine. Dude, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Obviously, Pace is, sh- is probably actually on the hottest seat, mm-hmm. given that like people were even considering it this offseason. But my God, Steve Kime, we need to figure it out. The allocation of resources here have not been good. Things have not panned out. And he's not even being discussed as like this GM on the hot seat. Like Every single yeah. year, it's like he just continues to approach these draft classes. I don't know. I, that, that's a hot seat for me. And he's got Patrick Peterson going out after the fact saying that he felt like he was lied to. Over the past whatever six months, I mean, you, you've done the articles. I mean, read, read off these but, draft classes. Okay. Uh, this is the this is the ultimate nail in the coffin that I can't honestly believe he's lasted this long. That obviously not could call for anyone's job, but this is just his first two picks. Here's his first two picks every single year's gym. 2013, Jonathan Cooper, Kevin Minter. They're not in the NFL. Uh, 2014, Dayon Buchanan, Troy Nicholas. 2015, DJ Humphreys, Marcus Golden. Humphreys has panned out. Has Ultimately panned out, but he was rough there for about three years. 2016, Robert Kemdichi, Brandon Williams, cornerback Brandon Williams, who was a running back before that. Not not good. 2017, Hassan Reddick, Buda Baker. There you go. You got Buda Baker. 2018, Josh Rosen, Christian Kirk. 2019, Kyler Murray, Byron Murphy. Eh, yeah, the number one overall pick, though. Uh, 2020, Isaiah Simmons, Josh Jones, TBD. This obviously this past year, Zayvon Collins, Rondale Moore, but you got one hit of that in eight years of your first two picks and a lot of guys who aren't even in the NFL and Kyler Murray I think it's important starters. to bring up that context that like that was given to you you were number, number one number overall one you, you were tra- your team was drafting number one overall yeah so that one you better that one uh, you can't really give a guy credit for that one it's the other ones that is just like that's that's not a good track record and then you have the classic just in my opinion bad sort of business when you sign a guy and then have a guy sign a guy in J.J. Watt to then trade a guy in Chandler Jones. It's like you have a bird in the hand. Why why you search for a second bird? Yeah. Why you try to fit two birds in that one hand? This is now just going nowhere. I but hate that what was you're doing. that was uh <laughs> but that's that's like the Bengals, what they just did. Like that just is not, in my opinion, good business to continually do things. I mean, like it's that. not good for the culture either. I mean, yeah. people want to so see you, the turnover, yeah. You yeah. don't want turnover in your roster like that. Man, I'm glad we both aligned on Steve Kime there, because I thought it was just gonna be a Ryan Pace, you know. Shit show, but here we are. Steve Kime. I mean, take a look. I and mean, the track record speaks for itself. Yeah. Next on our list here is QB under the most pressure. Can I go first here? I know yeah. the snake draft. Okay. Because I think there's two ways to think about this. QBs that are in a position where if they don't play well this year, they might never never play again. You know, like like a yeah. Trubisky type of thing where like now he's the backup in Buffalo and maybe mm-hmm. never gets an opportunity to start. There's or, a, or I guess there's another way. There's three ways. That there's um they're like, hey, you'll probably play again, but you um it's it's not looking likely you're going to stick with the current team that drafted you very highly. Yeah. That's like the Daniel Jones tier. He's not in my list, okay. but like that Daniel Jones tier of like, hey, Daniel Jones doesn't play this well this year. He might get an, another chance to start, but I don't think he's going to necessarily be with the Giants. And then there's this other tier, the Baker Mayfield tier. Like talk about pressure. He's going to play somewhere. He's yeah. going to start, but if he doesn't show, if he shows out this year, he's going to get paid a ton of money. If he doesn't, oh. the contract extension might not be as big. My pick, ultimately. There was another tier, in my opinion, which was you have 20-plus sexual assault allegations against Oh, you. oh. <laughs> that, is, that is, I guess, um, pressure unique to a one, one player yeah, in the NFL, yeah. for sure. Um, I love also, just a little side piece here, 
there was a couple tweets, a couple conversations about. I think Adam Schefter on a podcast said something like, "It's hard to do, you know, hard to work with, you know, think about Sean Watson's future with all that crap flying around." It's like, no, let's 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 address what that is. I, I think it's important to bring up the number, the the sexual assault allegations. Twenty two. There's twenty two sexual assault allegations against Deshaun Watson. That's not crap. That's not something. Yeah. That's not. Dirty laundry. That's uh, that's significant detail that you need to add in. But I went with um, Drew Locke. Ooh. Drew Locke is the, under the most pressure, not not only to start this year with Teddy Bridgewater, but also like if he does get to start, I mean that leash is going to be freaking tight. That mm-hmm. leash is going to be might as well not even have any length on that thing. It's going to be grabbing him by the collar. And as soon as we don't see any success, Teddy Bridgewater's going in. I talked to Shelby Harris, you know, a couple days ago. And he's like, I want the quarterback who turns the ball over the least. You see Drew Locke start throwing picks out of the gate. I don't know. I, I think Teddy B ends up. I think it's possible Teddy Bridgewater starts Week One, but if he doesn't. The pressure on Drew Locke to perform is going to be massive. There's also a very good chance that if he doesn't perform well this year, he might be that backup Mitch Trubisky. Um, that's that's what I ultimately went with. I, I went a different route, and I agree. Drew Locke is under a ton of pressure. I think it's I think it's Sam Darnold because he got traded for a lot of stuff, and he's got an excuse is made for him every step of the way, but he does not have a big money deal in tow. Carson Wentz has had a big money deal. Matt Stafford, I thought of also, he's already made a good deal of money. Obviously, he's thought of as this guy who's going to save the franchise, but I don't think he has too much more to prove in sort of his career. But Sam Darnold's a lot to prove. He's done zilch at the NFL level. And if he plays well one year, he gets a big deal because that's what, kind of the situation yeah. the Panthers in. If he doesn't, he is not going to be getting that. My, my counter to that is I think there's always going to be a significant portion of the NFL that loves Sam Darnold. And I think his parachute is big because yeah. it was a, a a guy who was drafted really highly that a lot of people like the flashes in his game. I think there's always going to be a quarterback, you know, someone who's like, I can make Sam Darnold work. Um, I think the other quarterback I mentioned before we jump to the next piece here um, is Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, I mean, what what is Jimmy if, – if Trey Lance takes over this year, say yeah. like Jimmy – I know Kyle Shanahan came out and said Jimmy G's our starter, Trey Lance is our number two. But if he starts this year, doesn't play well, and Trey Lance enters the game and takes the reins, who the f- signs Jimmy Garoppolo? Like who who goes out and mm-hmm. says, "Yeah, Jimmy G's our star." I don't know if he starts again. I don't know who, which team wants to really put themselves in that position. I don't know. Like I mean, I think he enters that Teddy Bridgewater tier where yeah. like, and you, you like, I've had this conversation a thousand times. The worst quarterback in the NFL is a bridge quarterback, and that's what Jimmy G is going to kind of be. You know, Jimmy G is going to be this guy that doesn't do anything all that great for you, but also doesn't keep you in the you know bottom out. Yeah. I want a quarterback that is young that could either bot like either sink or swim, baby. I don't want to float. You know, I I want to freaking sink or swim at the quarterback position. And I think Jimmy G is a floater. Jimmy G is a floater, and I don't know um, if he doesn't plan out for the San Francisco 49ers this year. And yet, regardless, I just don't know what his future in the NFL is outside of maybe like you know a, Ch- a Chase Daniels backup. You know, I think that's where he could maybe ultimately end up. Next piece. Second-year breakout candidate, your top second-year breakout candidate. We wrote multiple pieces on this. It's a very big keyword from an SEO perspective. Everyone loves breakout. Everyone loves to think about you know the 2020 rookie class and who's going to stand out. Seth Galina wrote a piece where he ranked the top 15 breakout candidates. I know Ben Lindsay has written a piece as well. Where are you with your top breakout candidate? Huh. This one's difficult. So I got a bunch. Throw the cheap one out of, of the fans. way. Throw the cheap one out of the way. What's the cheap one? Joe Burrow. Like that's that's an obvious. Second year breakout candidate. He played well last year, but a lot of people did not. But no, but a lot of people don't think he played all that well last year. I think Joe Burrow, 
who I'm, I'm mentioning Mike Sando's rankings to feel bipartisan, but he's a top 20 quarterback on PFF's rankings, top 15 quarterback on yeah. the athletics rankings, which polled 50 coaches and evaluators. I think a lot of people have high expectations for Burrow, and I think he meets them. Non-Burrow, second-year breakout. Yeah, Sam Burrow's like Chase Young. Yeah, Chase Young's had a breakout this year, too. Big year for Chase Young, I predict. Uh, mine, though, I'm going to go Isaiah Simmons. Uh, I truly just like having watched his tape as a rookie, it was not nearly as bad. Week one was bad. The rest was not nearly as bad as kind of, I think, the poo-pooing around the media landscape would lead you to believe. The fact that he wasn't starting was that he just wasn't a linebacker at Clemson. He was a safety at Clemson, not a linebacker. Finally plays linebacker. It's a transition, but I think you saw the athleticism. You saw the skill set that you saw at Clemson in coverage towards the end of the season. I think he'd still be a playmaker. I think he has a big year, too. Other guy that I wanted to mention was Andrew Thomas. I think he is as well. But that one, Isaiah Simmons, definitely my pick. I had um, Andrew Thomas as my number two. Okay. But my um, my pick here is going to be Josh Uchi, or oh. Uchi of the New England Patriots. I think we see a significant step forward from him this upcoming season. I think he even has better pass rushing success than another PFF darling on the Patriots and Chase Winovich. Oh, I think he's, I think Chase Winovich is good, but I think Josh Uchi could pass him up and be a better pass rusher. And I think I love how the Patriots in the past have developed pass rushing talent. I think Uchi, his ceiling you know, we talk about ceiling and it sucks, but I do think he can improve a lot. I think he has a lot of opportunity to improve. I think we see that with a non, you know, not as much COVID impacted season, you know, more training camp, more opportunities to actually hit the ground running. So I think Josh I like Uchi the is Josh my, Uchi call. Josh Uchi, breakout candidate. I had Andrew Thomas as my number two, and Joe Burrow is my obvious throwaway there. Um, that's where my mind was. All right, after that, contract year breakout. This one's interesting. I have two. I'm going to start. Rip it. James Daniels and Connor Williams. Two interior okay. offensive linemen oh, oh. that we always see. We always see, you know, offensive linemen. Mm. We talk about the developmental Very sexy curve. Picks. Very yeah, sexy I, picks. I went for pure sex here. Um, we always see with offensive linemen developmental curves. Like it takes it takes two, three, four years to really hit your stride, and you often see in contract years by virtue of hey, if I show out this year, I'm going to be a top paid guard in free agency, and the fact that you finally are mature enough to compete in the NFL at a high high caliber. I think Daniels and Williams both finish. I could see them both finishing inside the top 20, top 25 at their positions or even among interior offensive linemen in PFF grade this year. And if you do that, I'm telling you right now, you're going to sign a freaking pretty penny either with a contract extension with your respective teams or in free agency. No, I, I like those calls. Uh, I think Connor Williams has already started to come around. Yep. In a big last, last year was year. a career year for him. So I like that. I had a few names here. This is basically just who were my favorite players from the 2018 draft class that didn't end up, that haven't been good yet. That's how I... Is how this is basically going here for me. But the one name I settled on, and you can call me a homer all you want, but I truly believe Josh Jackson, the former Iowa cornerback, second-round pick of the Green Bay Packers in 2018, could not be playing in a better scheme for him right now. This is it. Like, this is, if you were to draft him, go back, revisionist history, plug him from anywhere he was coming out of Iowa into any scheme, it would be this one. So he's going up against Kevin King, and obviously the first-round pick, who I... Try to forget his name. I can't even remember his name off the top of my head. George Cor- Eric Stokes. I-, I think he wins that outside cornerback job. I think he has a good year. Really? When, I, when you asked Jackson. me to come out with a contract breakout for this podcast, I was scrolling through, obviously, the 2018 draft class because that's where a lot of these guys will be in contract years. Um, and I saw Josh Jackson, and I was like, no way. Nick Renner actually chooses Josh Jackson because he has not panned out. You're expecting a significant turn of events for Josh Jackson. So I guess we'll see. I will we- say my other, my other pick. I have two other guys I'll mention here. Nathan Shepard, 
of the New York Jets. He looked like he was on a trajectory to be that guy. After two years, had a kind of a down year three. I think coming out of Fort, what was it Fort Hayes State or whatever he came out of, D3. Uh, I think this is the year. Very physically imposing DT. And then Harold Landry of Tennessee Titans. Kind of been building. They, he plays a unique role in that Titans scheme where he does not come off the field, drops into coverage a lot, is valuable to that and what he adds. But I think this theory, you finally see him add that pass rushing sort of dominance that we saw at BC. So those are my picks. I, I couldn't, couldn't settle on more than on just one. All righty. Next here, biggest value free and signing. So this is obviously someone who was signed this offseason and who you think is going to be the biggest value to their team. You go ahead and start. All right. I think it's going to be Patrick Peterson of the now Minnesota Vikings. He's only 31. He is not old. He is two months older than I am. We are the same age. He is, and I'm still, I still got it athletically. I think Patrick Peterson still got it athletically. One year, $8 million deal for a guy who's probably about one year removed from being a top 10 to 15 cornerback in the NFL. I think we saw the same song and dance with Xavier Rhodes when bad down year last year goes to Indianapolis, one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL. I think we're going to see a similar thing with Patrick Peterson here. And it's a, it goes to a team that desperately needs it. I mean, they were tough at cornerback last year, throwing out as many rookies as they were. I think it's going to be a the, the Mike Zimmer's defense is going to be back to one of the best in the NFL. Man. Patrick Peterson, big reason why. All right. I, I, I've talked about a little bit about Mike Zimmer maybe being on a hotter seat than maybe some led on to be, but I didn't end up choosing him for my thing. I think uh, biggest value signing, this is a cheat. I'm not going to say it's this. Dak Prescott, I mean, fuck. I mean, Dak Prescott is going to help them vault forward. Obviously, they paid more than maybe they wanted to initially, but I mean, anytime you get a quarterback of Dak Prescott's caliber, sign him for agency, I think that's going to be a big one. But I actually went with John Johnson. John Johnson, I mean, okay. to get a player yeah. at $12.5 million per year that is going to have the impact, I think, John Johnson will have in that secondary, I think is absurd. I mean, it's another position that I feel like is very undervalued. And when you look at, you average the top five salaries at every single position in the NFL, safety is among the bottom three, you know, that, that gets paid. And I think to have, you know, I think it's a more, it's a more valuable position than that, yeah. in my opinion. So I do think that John Johnson at $12.5 million APY in a secondary that on paper should be fantastic. You've called it boomer bust, but I think if, you know, those young players do develop. John Johnson comes in and has success. That pass rush yeah. is going to be bonkers. I think they can have a lot of success up front. I mean, I think John Johnson is going to be a big piece this year and, and, and one of the better safeties, one of the better defensive players in the NFL. I didn't call it boomer bust. I said it could be a top three, but it also could just be like an, a below average. Like there's there just too many unknowns. But Johnson is a known at this point. This is signing reminds me a lot of Adrian Amos signing with Green Bay where there was no real fanfare on it, but Adrian Amos has been exceptional he has been so solid so reliable in that green bay packers defense that that's what you want at the safety position john johnson one of the best tacklers in the nfl at safety position only 34 missed tackles in his entire career on over 380 tackle attempts under 10 percent from the safety position is a hell of a rate so john johnson is going to vastly improve that brown secondary next on our list i get bored with that Next on our list, biggest dud free agent signing. I have two that are kind of obvious, but um, kind of obvious in that PFF has been very adamant on how maybe they were overvalued or overpaid in free agency. But Bud Dupree and Leonard Floyd both clearing, I think, $16 million in APY. I don't know. I, I, they might not be duds. I'm not saying Bud Dupree and Leonard Floyd are going to be legitimate negative 
you know, negatively yeah. impacting their teams, but I don't think they're going to live up to that, that expectation. I guess I looked at it that that kind of superlative as who's going to be the most overpaid and not necessarily live up to that that dollar figure. And I think both those guys are not going to have you know the sack totals that you're necessarily looking for. The, the impact I mean, you could have the sack totals with obviously Aaron Donald there uh, helping Leonard Floyd you know get some one on ones, but I do think they're not going to have the impact of that sixteen million dollar figure. Yeah, uh, I just think you want just situationally by Dupree what he was doing in Pittsburgh. He will not. He will not have a more favorable situation. To rush the passer anywhere else in the NFL, yeah. like any other scheme, any other defense. He was on a team that won a lot. So when you're winning a lot, you get a lot more opportunities to rush the passer. Whether it's uh, you know at, towards the end of games when other teams are in obvious pass situations, like you get more opportunities where you know you're going to rush the passer, and those are obviously more favorable to producing. And you're on a defensive line with three other guys who are probably top 10 sort of pass rushers at their respective positions. That's, that's not Tennessee. You got maybe one other guy like that in Tennessee right now. Maybe two if Harold Landry does his thing. But you got one other guy like that in Jeffrey Simmons, maybe. You just don't have the talent around you. You will be a focal point. And when you're the focal point, suffer to produce. And so all of that, and he has one pass rushing grade over 70 in his career. One season with over 50 pressures in his career. I just... I would be that, that was my pick obviously Bud Dupree I just don't uh, I don't foresee him being that much of an upgrade over Clowney yeah it's gonna be tough so, I, I, I think that's gonna be and again I don't even he's coming off think, an ACL he's coming off an ACL like he, and he tore his ACL so I think, I, 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 again I don't even think necessarily it's gonna be like oh man he's gonna be a liability like Leonard Floyd and no. Bud Dupree are gonna be liabilities like no I just don't know if they're gonna be worth all that money they dumped into both those contracts Tennessee and uh, the Los Angeles Rams respectively biggest impact rookie you go first can we, can we non-quarterback like, non-quarterback yeah, yeah. I, I did non-quarterbacks right. for me non-quarterback and this one i don't think it's close i think there's one answer one answer only oh god smart chase yeah it's smart chase i have a different answer but yeah it, it is you go from maybe the i don't want to shit too hard on aj Green, but he might have been the worst x in the nfl last year like the worst pure outside receiver you don't want to shit on him but you just freaking hit him with that monster <laughs> the worst he probably was like he just was not. He's not that guy, pal. You know, he just yeah. was not. <laughs> TikTok is that a TikTok trend from the boys? <laughs> oh my god, he just was not. And I told you this theory before after I watched that Jamar Chase uh, one-handed grab that was all over Twitter from Burrow. Burrow just never adjusted to the speed or lack thereof of AJ Green. He always just assumed it was Jamar Chase on the outside, and so he was overthrowing him left and right. Now he's not going to be overthrowing Jamar Chase because Jamar Chase runs a 4-3. So uh, I do think that, to me, he is going to provide the biggest impact for his respective franchise year one. I went with Jamar Chase as my number two. Okay. I went Kyle Pitts as my number one. Julio Jones obviously leaving Atlanta. I think he's going to be the clear mm-hmm. number two in that offense. So much that I think he's going to have a rookie tight end season that we've really never ever fucking seen. Like I, I honestly think he's going to be that good. I don't know. Atlanta. Mike Ditka went for over 1,000. I could. He's going over a thousand. I think he's going to go yeah. over a thousand. I think he okay. can't with a seventeen game season and, and how, how he's going to be the clear priority in that offense. And I honestly think that you know we are forgetting just how good he was at Florida. I think I, I watched an interview with him. The Atlanta Falcons social media team did an interview with him, and you just talk about like how surprised he was last year and how much he feels that he's still developing as an athlete, still developing because he's still so young. He's like twenty twenty one years old. Yeah. I do think that Kyle Pitts is going to come in and freaking change. Change the narrative real quickly. Immediately be you know a top three, top four tight end in the NFL. Maybe top five. Let's call it top five. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and where you know with such a massive target share leaving that offense, I think he's going to dominate, man. I think he's going to be a, a freaking target monster, a, a stat monster, and uh, really be one of the more impactful you know players, yeah, more most impactful rookie. Jamar Chase, I think what he does for Joe Burrow makes him kind of an obvious answer, but yeah. I think Kyle Pitts would be the other person I'd put in the conversation. I had one other one, and just a quick side note on Mike Ditka. He went for over 1,000 yards in a 14-game season as a rookie at tight end. He didn't go for over 1,000 yards in any other season the rest of his career. That's kind of insane. Uh, but the other guy I thought of was Rashawn Slater, just because of purely who he's replacing. You go from Sam Tevy, 52.9 overall grade at left tackle last season, the 32nd-ranked offense line at the end of the season, to now Rashawn Slater, who, even if he's just an average offense tackle, that's a huge upgrade. So uh, I think he's going to have a big impact as well. Going to react to this, because it's happening live as we're recording this podcast. Uh-oh. Colts offensive tackle Braden Smith, four-year extension, $72.4 million, and $42 million guaranteed. A guy who played guard at Auburn. That's, what, 18 a year. That's, I mean, that's the same, like, in the same space where Colt Miller signed. Who obviously was a highly drafted like Braden Smith was not even a first rounder like to get that money as a development like originally a developmental player that is one of the more like talk about success stories in the NFL Braden Smith coming in going from guard to right tackle and playing at just a league average level for kind of the first first year first and then second year and then slightly above average and continue to improve that is rewarding a player that has done you know more than. Um, what was expected of him coming out in 82.7 PFF grade since 2019. That's 12th among all offensive tackles in the NFL. Like, my goodness, Brayden Smith, have yourself a freaking day. That is money earned. Every single college offensive tackle that is asked to move to guard should say, go fuck yourself after that. He's making $2 million more a year than Joe Tooney. Joe Tooney is a... He's making like $6 top, million more than Corey Joe, Joe Tooney's like a top five guard. Brayden Smith's like a... Top twenty, top fifteen, maybe at his best. But that's the tackle market versus the guard market. That he's making shortest arms in the NFL. Shortest arms in the NFL for tackles. Yeah. So every single tackle who has maybe short arms and wants to get kicked inside should just say no. Because you should tweet that right now. Costing yourself. It would do costing yourself. Costing yourself money. That is. That is. uh, I mean, you talk about like obviously like Braden Smith. I think like we said, top twenty, top fifteen off of the tackle in the NFL. You have to pay those guys though. You you have to pay top twenty, top fifteen offensive tackles, and that's what Braden Smith has been over the past two years. And you have to expect continues to be you know overcoming a lot there. Man, congratulations, Braden Smith. Also, a guy I talked to in the pre-draft process, Mike. You know, really smart guy. Do you Loved think him. you're Lunch the reason Peloton. why he played I, so I might. Well. I don't want to say like I need to be in the conversation, but I should be. I should be. People should be talking about exactly the fact that my name hasn't been mentioned yet. I guess is kind of a, a concern for me. Um, all right, last one here, and then we'll jump to the interviews with Mike Norvell and Eli Drinkwitz. Biggest dud rookie. I got two. I'll start. Okay. Zayvon Collins already in legal trouble. I also don't think you know linebackers rarely have a significant impact. You know, as in their first years, we saw that with Patrick Queen among others. We saw that with Devin White and Devin Bush. It's a hard position to play. Going from college to the NFL, it's even harder when you're going from Tulsa and you're already dealing with legal issues and different distractions for Zayvon Collins. The other one I mentioned, because he's already on the COVID list, talk about distractions, Kadarius Tony. I mean, if you are missing reps yeah. right now, it's going to be very difficult to contribute uh, in year one. So I, I'm not necessarily saying these guys are busts. I'm just saying I could see year one not being maybe as expected for those guys. No, yeah, I, I went folks on like the, the real top picks. And the one guy in there that I'm not even going to call him a bust. I just don't see how he makes a massive impact as Jalen Waddle. You have Devontae Parker, Wolf Fuller ahead of you on the depth chart. You have an offense that 
I would not describe as high volume passing from what we saw from a season ago. And obviously, it's new OCs, co OCs there. Um, and we don't know what it's necessarily going to look like. But I just think he could look, his role could look like what it was at Alabama, where it's just kind of his first two years at Alabama, where he's a nice piece. He's dynamic when he gets the hand, his hands in the ball. No one's going to complain about him. But there's just so many mouths to feed in that Dolphins offense now that I'm not sure he, like everyone, we're talking about rookie wide receivers, everyone's saying Jamar Chase, massive year. Devontae Smith, probably going to have a massive year. I don't think anyone's going to say that about Jalen Waddle. I don't think anyone predicts him going over 1,000 yards because of just kind of his role and where he sits in that hierarchy in that Dolphins offense. I think it's fair. It's fair. I think everyone, here's a take. Find me something NFL fans hate more than um, you thinking that their highly drafted rookie's not going to play well. It could be it could be any it, you you could have hated you could be a Raiders fan you're just diehard Raiders fan born and raised in Oakland and you hate Alex Otherwood. It's like if we pick Alex Otherwood, I'm going to be really upset. They draft him it's like I don't care, I'm going to live and die for him. And if you make fun of him or you say like I don't think it's going to be a good pick or I don't think he's even had a good game, there, there, there's going to be fans that are just really upset. There's something about attacking hope. This could be even more of a psychological thing. Attacking hope for fans can be really difficult. Tony can, Robbins stuff. Uh, it's just, actually I got a meeting with Tony Robbins after this. Um, this has been a fantastic podcast. I love this idea. I think for next one we continue to, um, you know, hammer some of these predictions, get more specific with division winners, season totals, all that type of stuff. I think that will be a ton of fun. Now that rosters are wrapping up, we're going to see training camp. We're going to see preseason. I'm excited, man. Football is freaking back. The last week without football for a long time, for a very long time. College, NFL, Mm. oh my God, I'm freaking stoked. Let's go ahead and jump now to interviews with Florida State head coach Mike Norvell and Missouri head coach Eli Trinkwitz. Now joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is current Florida State head coach Mike Norvell. Mike, great to have you on the show. Uh, Appreciate you having me. Of course, man. Where I'd like to start, honestly, is I think in college football, there's an underrated storyline. I think one of the best storylines of the calendar year is Mackenzie Milton returning to football. One of the, you know, as uber successful quarterback before obviously suffering a gruesome leg injury that kept him out of football for the past two seasons and obviously forced him into the transfer portal now, now playing with Florida State. What have been your first impressions as a person, as a, as a, as a person off the field and on the field of Mackenzie Milton there at Florida State? Well, you know, Mackenzie and I have a, an interesting past together. You know, we competed against each other for the years when I was at Memphis, and obviously he was there for at UCF. And uh, you're just such a good, tremendous competitor. And I had a, an unbel- unbelievable amount of respect for uh, you know, who he was, you know, what he stood for. Uh, you know, it was devastating, the, the injury that he had, um, you know, for somebody that competed against him, uh, but then also just, you know, seeing the, the path that he's had to take and, and all that he's had to put into it. He's somebody that you, that you want to cheer for. He's somebody that uh, you was about the right things, a, a great competitor, tremendous leader has just made an impact everywhere that he's ever been. And, uh, you know, as, as this opportunity presented itself, uh, you know, back in, you know, late December, January, uh, you know, it was a no brainer for us. And, uh, you know, McKenzie brings a, a tremendous amount of leadership, uh, you a guy that has had success at every level, um, you know, is a great teammate and, and, you know, a very talented quarterback and to see the, the strides that he's, that he's taken, uh, you know, even throughout the course of, of the, the six, seven months that he's been here, uh, you, you see the confidence that's, that's uh, continuing to emerge and you see the, uh, the uh, investment that he has in building those relationships with his teammates, uh, you know, understanding a new offense, you know, learning a new language and, you know, he just got better and better throughout the course of spring and just excited for, for what his future 
future holds and, and the, the impact that he's made on this team already, uh, bef- even before we've hit the field here for this, for this fall. But, uh, you know, you're really, um, you know, grateful and excited for the opportunity that, that I have to coach McKenzie. You know, what update, update can you give around Milton's health and where he's at physically? You know, what weight he's back up to? I'm sure it was very difficult for him to work out and, and maintain weight he was previously at UCF. Where is he at physically right now? And, and what has that process been like, that rehabilitation process? And, and how far along is he there? No, I mean, it's gone extremely well. And McKenzie actually got full clearance uh, probably two weeks into to his time here at Fl- uh, Florida State. Uh, we, we were very confident in where that was going to go, but uh, you know, he got his full clearance. And, and throughout the spring, you know, he's been able to really build on the workload that he's been, that he's, uh, uh, been able to do. It's been, uh, it's been impressive to watch. And, you know, he, he puts everything that he has uh, into each workout that, that he takes part of. And, you know, to see, you know, not only the work that he does on the field, but off the field, you know, in the training room, um, you know, you can see the appreciation for each day. And it's something that's you know, really worn off on a lot of our guys, you know, just uh, you're seeing what it takes to, you know, to have to respond to something that, you know, was, was unlike, you know, something that, you know, you know, many of us have ever had to experience and, uh, you know, just his attitude, his approach, uh, you know, he's, he's doing everything full clearance. You know, he, he looks great in, in all that he's, that he's, uh, you know, being asked to do and uh, we're excited for him uh, to hit the, hit the ground running once we, uh, once we get going in fall camp. Last question here on Milton before we press forward with other players here. You know, what's the latest surrounding the quarterback competition between Milton and Jordan Travis? Obviously, Travis had some success this past year, but Milton, you know, a highly regarded you know transfer. You know, any the latest I've read is that you have not named a starter for the opener against Notre Dame. Are, are you still what, what are you still looking for in that competition? I guess any update would be great. You know, just continued growth, continued development. Uh, you're seeing seeing the guys. Uh, you know what what they've done throughout the the, the summer months. Um, you know the work that they've done. Uh, you know outside of uh, you know the the required you know uh, eight hours a week. I mean the the those player run uh, practices, the things that they're doing. Uh, you know taking that ownership, continuing to develop. You know building that uh, that continuity uh, within their teammates and and overall understanding of of the off- offense and what they're being asked to do. But uh, you know they really pushed each other, and uh, we've got a great quarter back room it's it's a uh you know you mentioned those two we've got a couple of young guys that i'm excited about their continued development as well and you know competition it brings out the best in everyone and uh, those guys are going to continue to compete and uh, we're looking forward to uh to being able to see how this plays out as we get to fall camp let's shift gears here to andrew parchment six foot two 175 pound wide out transferring from kansas the guy another new face kind of expected to make an impact for the Knowles this upcoming season what did you see from him on tape there at kansas and i guess what are your expectations for parchment this upcoming season you know andrew's an extremely explosive player and that's something that showed up you know his going into his junior year uh you know his first year at kansas you know he was he was um you know, he was so very productive and, and not just, you know, in, in one particular you know, phase. I mean, whether it was the down the field threat, uh, you know, you know, getting the ball in his hands, making things happen. Um, you know, you saw you saw a guy that was just a, a true game changer. Uh, you know, is is the this last year, you know, there was a little bit of a dip in production, uh, you know, for whatever reasons that uh, that they were. But, um, you know, when he when he explored, uh, uh, you know, seeking a new opportunity, uh, you know, I thought it was a, a great fit. It was a great fit for what we were looking for. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has uh, possesses tremendous speed. You know, he's got, like I said, that that playmaking ability. Uh, you know, really can can break, be an X factor for us. But uh, you know, even having him here this summer and you know getting getting to to watch him work the what he's the investment he's making in the weight room. I think he's already gained ten pounds since he's been here. Uh, really doing an impressive job there. You know, his his explosiveness, uh, his movements. Uh, you know that he wants to be great, and uh, you 
we're challenging him every day. Um, but I, but he's also another guy that's uh, you really uh, you're bringing that that collegiate experience and production you know into that receiver room, and uh, you know it's a, a great guy to have around for a lot of our younger receivers, and um, you know we're excited about what he's going to be able to do this season. You know, with Milton, with Parchment, all coming over to FSU, I'd be interested to kind of hear your take or your analysis on how you feel the new transfer rules will impact you know, the NCAA and how you expect that to help players kind of progress, like, like Andrew and like McKenzie as well. Well, you know, I think every everybody's situation is is unique to to their to their own uh, journey, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, these are guys that were looking for for something different. Um, you know, we had a, a unique situation in our own right. Uh, you know, we were the youngest team in college football last year. Um, you know, we've been able to to add uh, you know a great group of transfers that are going to come in, and uh, you know, they're going to provide uh, you know you know those those you know, those college experience and uh, you know the production that they've had, and you know, not only do you bring the on the field production, but also who they are off the field, because uh, regardless of, of where, you know, what path we, we, we went high school, high school signee, junior college, you know, uh, college transfer, you know, we're looking for the right fit for Florida state. And that's what these guys have provided. And they've been tremendous teammates since they've got here. It's, it's, it's not just been about them and, and what they're looking to do, but also who they get to do it with. And uh, for, uh, you know, for our, for our football team, I think we're, we're seeing that group of, of and the impact that they're making just because of, of who they are uh, more than just what they do. And so that's something that, uh, that I'm excited to see that continue to progress. And as this team builds, builds together, uh, you know, I think it sets us up to, to really see um, you know, a, a more accelerated advance uh, you know, when our players are helping coaching the other players of what it should look like. A player I know a lot of people here at PFF are excited about, even though we only saw him on a limited sample this past year, is Lawrence Toafili. Was a stand-up player, limited snaps, but a former four-star recruit entering his true sophomore campaign. Do you expect Toafili to play a featured role in that backfield this upcoming season? I do, and I think uh, you know, Lawrence has, has really grown throughout this off season. Uh, you know, he came in, and you know, like I mentioned, you know, we were we were extremely young last year. And you look at the running back room as as a whole. I mean, it was all new faces this past season, and so you know, Lawrence got thrown you know, thrown into the, uh, into the action, you know, extremely early here in his college career. And, um, you know, he's had to, to, to grow and develop and this off season has, has really helped him with his overall strength and physical development, but also just the confidence in, and what he's been asked to do mentally. And uh, he was such a dynamic playmaker. He was great with the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, he can catch the ball. Uh, you know, he's, he can be a threat out uh, if you put him out in a slot to, to be able to run routes, to win one-on-ones. But, uh, you know, also just the, the type of playmaker he is, you know, you know, out of the backfield. And that's something that we're excited about and uh, continue to see his, his growth and development. Uh, you know, I think he's got a chance to be pretty special. You obviously saw a lot of really, really talented Florida State players go on to the NFL this past year. Marvin Wilson, Joshua Kendo, Tamari Terry. You also have Asante Samuel Jr., a guy that here at PFF were huge fans of, really liked what he did, specifically in off coverage there, really cerebral player on tape. Speak to what Asante Samuel Jr. was in the practice field and what he was in the film room, because I think when you look at him on tape, he's a guy that expected things on the football field, really was reactive on every single play. I'd be interested to hear kind of your take on, on Asante Samuel Jr., what made him so great there at FF. Uh, he was the ultimate competitor and it didn't matter you know what he what position you were putting if it was in the median room he wanted to compete if it was out on the practice field he wanted to compete and then obviously it showed up and carried over to the game field and uh is one of my favorite players uh you know really enjoyed getting a chance to coach him and you know he responded uh, in such a in such a great way throughout uh the transition and you could tell that he embraced um, you know, what we were bringing as a coaching staff and truly wanted to 
to push and 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 help you know get himself to to where he ultimately uh, was able to achieve and and was was so very productive this last year. Um, you know, to see him uh, really you know, kind of skyrocket up the draft boards and and get a get and go into a, a great situation. I think it's uh, you know I think it's something that it was a tri- is a tribute to who he is, what he's all about, and just the ultimate competitor um, that uh, that he showed up and and was every single day. FSU fans should obviously be excited to see him play with Brandon Staley and the Chargers next year. But also, I mean, there should be high expectations for this Seminole secondary this upcoming season. You know, you obviously have, you know, Mesco Dotson, Brandon Moore, Jamie Robinson, a lot of talent in that secondary for the 2021 season. Do you expect that to be a key strength for, for you guys this upcoming year? Well, you know, once again, we talk about that competition, and that's a, that's a position that we've been able to add uh, some some great pieces uh, you know, through the transfer portal. Um, guys that have come in uh, that uh, you know have experience, guys that have played uh, you know good ball uh, throughout their college career. But also, you know, when you look at it, we had we had some some young guys that really you know were forced into action there you know early in their career here these last couple of years, and you know there's it's it's not always looked pretty, but uh, you know they've grown through the experience, and uh, you know they're they're excited about uh, the. the about the development that they're that they're showing and we're excited about you know how that group is coming together you know it's it's allowing us to be a little bit more versatile in, in some of our defensive packages and, and what we're able to do and so uh you know i think that that is a position that absolutely uh can can grow to be a strength for us and it's something that we need to get to where we want to go a couple more questions coach and then i'll let you go i really appreciate the time you know looking at your offense you know high percentage of screens this past year 27 percent was the number we had charted only three also only three power five teams ran more unbalanced looks more unbalanced formation than the seminoles in this past year do you expect kind of you know similar priorities going into this year i think it's a very difficult offense to stop combine you know when you combine those unbalanced formations with the high tempo no huddle offense do you expect to maintain that kind of consistent or maintain those scheme oddities a bit into 2021 or i guess how do you expect this offense to change or how are you iterating on this offense in 2021? You know, we want to continue to grow in our consistency. And, uh, you know, this is an offense that's built for playmakers. And, and it's our job to put them in the best position uh, to showcase the skills and talents that they have. And, you know, last year was unique to itself. It was our first year. Um, you know, we had to, to deal with a lot of different factors, some of that were in our control, some were out of our control and uh, trying to help, you know, de- develop an identity of, of who we are and what we, uh, you, know, you know, aspire to do. And, you know, I think we were able to see some tremendous growth in the run game and, uh, you know, things that, uh, um, you know, really kind of help build the foundation of, of what we want to be able to do, but, you know, also an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to grow upon that uh, with what we're doing in the passing game. And, uh, you know, you know, being able to have, you know, the, the, uh, the consistency in, in, in our production and, and being able to have those guys step up. Uh, I think that's, uh, it's something that uh, has all of our coaching staff excited. Uh, you know, we're going to be unique in trying to, uh, to showcase our players, uh, you know, skills and talents and uh, you know, whatever that, whatever method and, and ways that we need to do that, that's something that we take a, a great deal of pride in uh, trying to help showcase. And so, you know, that's going to be our focus as we move forward and, and let this identity of this year's team truly show and, and develop throughout it. Last one for you, Coach. Obviously, really pressing news uh, with the NIL rules and how that's impacting the game. I think we saw Nick Saban say today that Bryce Young is getting nearly seven figures in NIL deals and these types of things. One, do you have any players making that kind of money? And I guess two, uh, how do you expect you know these new rules to really impact the NCAA and impact you know this game? Because obviously, it's going to have huge impacts. Well, you know, it's a new it's a new day in college football, and uh, you know, it's exciting to see these players you know be able to. Uh, to benefit from uh, from their name, image, and likeness, and uh, you know the work that they put in to put themselves in these positions. Um, you know, our biggest thing is continue to help educate our players, and uh, you know our guys are they're, they're doing a great job with it. Uh, you know, the understanding of 
of, of you know what opportunities in front of them and how they can best capitalize on that. Uh, we definitely have guys that are that are benefiting uh, you know from you know from different opportunities and uh, you know, you know, things that they've been able to to already um, uh, you know kind of enhance and and promote you know their 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 themselves through the NIL. Uh, you know, it's an exciting time. And that's something that through our Apex program, uh, we've been very proactive here at Florida State. And uh, our guys, uh, you know, they've, they've taken a great deal of ownership in helping develop that brand and push their brand uh, for who they are and what they're all about. So it's it's definitely an exciting time for Florida State. It's an exciting time for our players. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how that continues to push, uh, you know, and, and challenge the things of college football from what has always been to, you know, obviously where we're going. Really fantastic stuff, Coach. Really appreciate the time. Thank you so much, and best of luck this season. I appreciate you having me on, and go Knowles. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is current Missouri head coach, Aliyah Drinkwitz. Aliyah, I've been looking forward to this all day, and actually all night. You are working late tonight, my friend. It is 11 p.m. ET. It is You are all about it, man. We're grinding right now. Hey, that's part of the job description, man. They pay us a whole heck of a lot of money not to complain about the job we get. So I'm blessed to, to, to be a head football coach in the SEC. You know, I was driving up to the hotel tonight, and uh, I remember in 2006 I was an assistant coach at Springdale, Arkansas, and we we played in the Hoover South, Southeast Select 7-on-7 seven seven tournament uh, and went to the Galleria Mall to, to kill some time between games while the SEC media days are going on. And to think that now I'm, I'm one of the coaches involved in it is it's kind of crazy. So, shoot, man, this is, a, this is an awesome opportunity. I don't look at it as anything else. Well, you've earned it, man. I think for those who don't know, I mean, Coach Eli Drinkwitz is an insane story. I want to kind of give some people some background here. You you know, you worked your way up. You started as a you know quality control coach with Auburn, got to Arkansas State, NC State, App State, all the way up to App State, where you led App State in your first season as a college football head coach to a 12-1 year, a Sunbelt Championship. Quickly scooped up by Missouri, hired in December of 2019, you know, and, and still managed to exceed expectations in a lot of ways in a COVID-impacted SEC debut in 2020. I, I don't know a better way to say this, but who are you, Elia? And how, how surprised are you, or I guess excited, that you know, you, at this ra- rapidly developing and suddenly successful coaching career? Well, I'm not going to use the term excited because if it was a drinking game, we would be extremely drunk at the end of this night <laughs> because coaches use that term so much. But I, I feel like it's just a uh, – I don't know. I know exactly who I am. I can't really explain how I've gotten this opportunity other than we work really hard. Um, I'm surrounded by really good people, um, and the players buy into who we are on a daily basis. Um, so I, I really just – I don't know. That was a weird question because it was a lot of flattery, and I'm not really dealing well with flattery. I kind of view myself as an underdog, but really more of a hungry dog who just wakes up every day to try to prove that he belongs here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you'll be an underdog for long, man. A lot of success already. I think what's incredible is, honestly, with that COVID-impacted season, I'd love to hear kind of some more detail because it had to have been just an absolute swirl of new things <laughs> being thrown your way, you know, because you're yeah. going from, obviously, App State, you get hired on by Mizzou, four months later – the biggest pandemic of our lives hits and it completely affects if a college football season is going to happen and all of those stuff. Any details on that transition and honestly just how you managed so many new things, so many new events in such a short period of time? Yeah, I, I think too, not to add on to it, like really make myself sound good or any of us sound good is we have kind of forgotten how much social unrest there was last year. And I think 100%. the combination of the COVID plus social unrest really made that job last year 
one of the most high stressful day-to-day operations that I've ever been a part of. And I think the biggest challenge for me was to just take it day by day, control the things that you can control, focus on the task at hand and, and, you know, put, put, put one foot in front of the other. Uh, we had this quote that said, you don't have to have it all uh, figured out to move forward. And that's really was our motto. Like we don't have to have it all figured out. Just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward and keep gaining ground, keep gaining ground. And, even when you couldn't see how it was all going to come together because of what you had done in the past, you learned, okay, just keep moving forward and we'll figure it out. And that's, that's kind of how we went. I'm not going to say I leaned into it like Apollo 13, but it was kind of that mentality, right? Where we have no idea how the hell we're going to get back to the earth. We've got all this stuff and we got to figure it out. And that's, that's kind of what happened. You know, what else is incredible, you know, looking at your background as well, is you, know, you said in an interview with The Athletic that, you know, or you, you don't have an offense coordinator. And you said in yep. an interview that it allows you to step away from being the head coach and focus on ball. You also coach the quarterbacks every single day. Talk to me more about how you feel that is an advantage and, and why you prioritize that and why you're so confident in, in, in being successful in both those roles. Obviously, again, stacking onto who the hell is Elijah Drinkwitz and that he's yeah. able to come into the SEC and be an offense coordinator and a head coach and have all this success well I, I learned a long time ago my ass my hands right if my ass is on the line my hands are going to be involved in it and so the opportunity to be the head football coach didn't come to me by being a head football coach it came to me by being a, a quarterback's coach and an offensive coordinator that's the strength of who I am and so we play to my those strengths um you know I, I know I feel strongly about those things I feel strongly about what it takes to teach quarterbacks and how you get those guys ready to play I feel strongly about the way that we call and manage football games. And so uh, until I feel like that, that I'm a nemesis to the team uh, and not a strength, that's the way we're going to operate. And it's been something that I think uh, has been good for me. Um, I think it's something that you see more and more, not only in the NFL, but with other colleges. And, and it's not something that I really want to change. 100%. I think that makes total sense. Pivoting to the quarterback conversation, there's a lot of hype building around Connor Basilak entering the 2021 season, and rightfully so. 2019 three-star recruit that more than exceeded expectations at the helm this past year, um, you know, led a top-five offense from an efficiency standard in the SEC. What's the next step, though? You know, What's the next step for Basilak and his development, and what are your expectations for him this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, we have a couple of metrics that we have to improve on. Obviously, our deep ball accuracy and our red zone uh, passing, uh, obviously, touchdown throws are two ways that we can improve the game. Um, I think the other thing is just that mental uh, smart, not conservative. You know, knowing when to take that shot, when to check it down, uh, not being overly conservative and saying, okay, I'm just going to escape the pocket or, okay, I'm just going to throw it away. Like, there's going to be times when you have to fit, the, fit it in there, but not feeling the pressure to fit it in there. When you looked at the games that we really struggled, obviously, the Mississippi State game was probably our worst game offensively. From a, we were trying to force the ball because we felt the pressure of the defense, you know, our defense not performing at the level that we want to. And so I think those are all things that a young quarterback can mature and grow in and, and uh, something that he's really embraced this offseason. Yeah, I know you've raved about Basilex and tangibles. It's a competitive energy. But what do you feel, you know, having worked with quarterbacks and coaching them every day, is the most important thing at the quarterback position, that developmental trait? You know, I, you hear Mike Leach talk about accuracy and timing. We've had Herm Edwards on this podcast. He wants winners. He says the best quarterbacks win in the fourth quarter. But what do you feel is that kind of best trait or that best developmental piece that a quarterback needs most in your mind? Did Herm ask those questions during the dead period when yeah. those guys were coming on on visits? <laughs> I'm not sure. I can't um, confirm. <laughs> um, no, I, I think uh, 
you know, the thing that I look for is mental toughness. I, I think it's it's toughness, both mental and physical. To me, that's the number one requirement of a quarterback. I mean, obviously, you look at the Super Bowl champion played with a sprained MCL most of the season, and you never knew about it. Talk about a guy who faced adversity, who also faced some very difficult challenges, um, you know, struggled versus, uh, you know, that, that change, but never lost confidence and belief in who he is. You know, there's going to be times where – you have a bad game. You throw two interceptions, and, and you ain't playing your best. But when the game's on the line with two minutes left, you got to go out there, and your team has to believe that you're going to lead them out to win. And so that—that's a—that is mental toughness, man. And, and if you ain't got that at the quarterback position, you ain't got it. And so for me, that's the—that's really the thing that defines the great ones. You know, another star in your offense, senior Tyler Batty, was heavily utilized in the offense this past season. I think he led all Power 5 backs in percent of routes targeted at 30.7%. I know in your offense, even dating back to the time at App State, you prioritize you know, targeting running backs. So, you know, what makes Batty such a talented weapon in the passing game? And do you expect him to kind of continue to play such a featured role in the offense? Yeah, absolutely. He's one of those explosive playmakers that we have to continue to find ways to expand his touches. And he's a guy that has got to touch the ball, whether it's through handoffs. If you look at uh, really our comeback against Arkansas, it was spearheaded by what Tyler did for us, uh, both running the ball and catching the football. Um, he, he's got great speed, short area quickness. Um, he's got good hands. Um, he, he's a guy that creates mismatch ability. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm sure you all start using it. But uh, <laughs> he's a guy who can do a lot of different things for us, um, and he's, he's definitely somebody that we have to create opportunities for. You know, you're losing in the receiving core. You're losing Damon, Haz- Damon Hazelton. He's going on to the NFL. But there, there's a lot of talent. You know, you got you know, Mookie Cooper coming over from Ohio State. Obviously, uh, um, Chisholm there, the six foot four, 210-pounder. Who do you expect most to kind of step up in, in this receiving core to work with Basilak to kind of take this passing offense forward? There's so many names there. You know, Javian Hester, Jay Macklin, Towski Dove. I mean, I'd be interested to know kind of what names stand out to you right now as kind of those top pass catchers. Yeah, I, I think that's really the, the, going to be the focus of fall camp is who who shows us the ability to make con- contested catches and create separation and man-to-man coverage. You know, th- those are the things that we have to identify and be better at than we were last year. Uh, Kiki Chisholm displayed that uh, in, in key games. Toski made some critical contested catches for us. Really like what J.J. Hester's done, who missed a lot of last year with a toe injury, and now he is – uh, back to full speed and, and running really well. Uh, Dominic Lovett, a true freshman at early enrollee, showed a lot of explosiveness and ability to get in and out of routes and create separation at the line of scrimmage. So, uh, you know, there's a there's a, a lot of uh, bodies there, but what we got to create is is that that separation and who's going to be that elite person and and uh, shoot, man, that's that's what football is all about. A couple more questions for you, Coach, and I'll let you go. really appreciate the time. You know, long-time NFL coach Steve Wilkes joining the defensive staff this year. What do you expect, you know, Wilkes to bring both on and off the field to Mizzou this upcoming year? Yeah, I mean, the first thing he brings is instant credibility when he walks into a room. Uh, he's a leader of men, a motivator of players. He's coaching the NFL uh, as an NFL head coach, a coordinator of Super Bowl games. Um, I mean, he's a guy who uh, is an elite at what he does. Uh, he's a great teacher, communicator, um, a tireless worker. Uh, got an outstanding scheme, a difficult scheme that that uh, our guys are excited to learn and embrace. He's going to have some challenges in, in learning uh, how to deal with some college offenses. I don't think he's ever coordinated against his own read before, so that's going to be good. 
Uh, we got jet motions and RPOs and all that fun stuff. So he's got his hands full, but he's a constant learner, and he's got some good players to play with. And we, we really went out to try to help him. You know, we added um, uh, a junior college, or we, we added several junior college players to the defensive line. We added a transfer linebacker with Blaze Aldridge. We added two transfer DBs uh, in, in, in a Caleb Evans and Allie Green. And so we really have strengthened that defense. You know, we lost uh, several players, but we, we got some really good ones back that we think have some good talent. So he's in a good situation, and we'll look forward to him uh, making an impact for our defense. Last one for you, Coach. I know you're a really innovative offensive mind, and I've been asking a lot of offensive-minded coaches kind of where they feel the game is going, both at the NFL and collegiate level. And I think you see over the past five years an increase in RPOs, an increase in screen usage, an increase in obviously the spread offense. I also think you know teams are passing on early downs a lot more. I think words I hear a lot are attack space, attack space. What do you feel are kind of these ongoing themes or these new themes that are kind of changing the game or moving the game forward, specifically offensively? Well, I, I think everything has become quarterback-driven, right? It's what can your quarterback do at a high level um, that gives you an advantage offensively, whether it's, okay, he's a bigger quarterback who's going to need vertical play action um, in a, a solid run game, or he's a guy who can create on his own with his feet outside of the pocket, or he gives you something with a run game. I think you have to, more than ever, identify what the quarterback's strengths are and then drive your offense around that. Um, I think too much in the past, it was more of a, a, a philosophy-driven game. And now I think that's why you see the emergence of so many different styles of quarterbacks that have emerged not only in the NFL and college games, is that each one of them bring a unique skill set and talent, and these coordinators have figured out a way to utilize their skill set talent to move the football. Couldn't agree with you more. That is exactly how you know we're seeing you know the NFL change with Josh Allen and Brian Dable, Lamar Jackson and Roman, all that type of stuff. This has been fantastic, Coach. I really appreciate the time. Really appreciate you staying up late to talk with us, and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming year. Hey, man, appreciate you, Imazi. Support for PFF is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. You know where I'm at with it is that you know I have never been better down low. From a, from a pubes perspective, it's honestly unreal. I, I am getting compliments consistently. Um, Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. My goodness. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredible comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for your jewels with Manscaped. I die on the cross. Free Eli Drinkwitz. That's what I'm going to say it right now. I die on the cross. He is my guy. I'm going to be rooting for him until I die. That's I, I think he's going to be the future of college football. I was so excited about the interview. And Mike Norvell, that McKenzie Milton story is going to be very interesting. He obviously has not named a starter yet, but you have to think McKenzie Milton starts with the Seminoles this upcoming year. And I think that will be another interesting storyline to follow this upcoming season. That's going to do it. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner.
Obviously, Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick on the Two Four Drafts podcast. 